Today on Abounding Grace, we'll raise your awareness to a danger we're all susceptible to and show you how to avoid it. Backsliding is the exact opposite of God's desire for your life and mine. He's not wanting us to go backwards, but go forward. That's why we need to take practical precautions. And the number one thing that will keep you and me from backsliding is doing what you hear. That's what James said. James said that faith without works is dead. It's lifeless. This is amazing grace. If you've ever swam in the ocean, you know how easy it is to drift and not even realize it's happening. Before you know it, you look to the shore and your towel and chair are nowhere to be seen. This can also happen to us spiritually, as we'll see today on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is talking about the danger of drifting as we get back into Hebrews 2 and continue our mini-series on backsliding. And there's hope for those who are, so stay close by. We, we describe our relationship with God as our walk with the Lord. And it's a great picture, isn't it? You're just walking on, progressing. You don't walk backwards. At least you don't walk backwards for very long. And then you go from walking to another illustration in the Bible to what? Running. The idea of running a race. Where you're not only just moving forward, but you're moving forward with speed, with a goal in mind. That's the progress of the Christian faith. Backsliding is the exact opposite of God's desire for your life and mine. He's not wanting us to go backwards, but go forward. That's why we need to take practical precautions. And the number one thing that will keep you and me from backsliding is doing what you hear. That's what James said. James said that faith without works is dead. It's lifeless. Anyone can depart from the faith and backslide. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how many Bible verses you've memorized, how many times you've read through the Bible. It doesn't matter how many songs you know. It doesn't matter how long you've been a pastor or a Sunday school teacher. It doesn't matter. None of those things matter. Any of us can backslide and commit atrocious, horrific sin apart from God. Anyone can fall away. And so what does he say in verse 1? We must we must give the more earnest heed, or another translation, the most careful attention to the things that we've heard, lest we drift away. Verse 2, for if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast, it did. He, if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, it did. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which it first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. When we come to the new covenant, this whole section can be described by the principle of sowing and reaping. 
Remember Paul was writing to the churches in the Galatia region in Galatians chapter 5, and he talked about sowing to the Spirit and sowing to the flesh. He used the illustration of, of a farm and planting seeds or a garden, that whatever seed you've planted, you're expecting that seed to grow up into what it is. If it was a watermelon seed that you're growing watermelon, you're expecting a watermelon to come out. If it was an apple seed, you're expecting an apple tree to grow. If it was, uh, you know, cucumbers, you're expecting cucumbers. Nobody in their right mind plants a cucumber seed and gets upset when watermelon, and when watermelon doesn't grow. I mean, if you know anybody like that, would you send them my email? I'd like to know what are they thinking? Nobody thinks like that. Nobody thinks that you know, if I, if I plant uh, an apple seed that an orange tree is going to grow, nobody thinks like that, that I've met. However, however, I've met hundreds, thousands of Christians, I don't know how many, that think that they can sow into the flesh and not reap the flesh. I, I've seen it time and time again, where they're convinced that what they're doing right now that is clearly against God's word, not against church doctrine, not against church opinion, not against what a pastor said, but the very simplicity of what the Bible says. And you read what the Bible says and you don't do it and you don't think it's gonna come back to bite you. I don't understand. You don't think that way in your garden. You, you don't think that way in other areas of your life. But when it comes to the things of God, there's an exception. But there's not an exception. The Bible says if you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. The wages of sin is always and will always be death. That is an unchanging spiritual principle. But there's another side to this. And that is if you sow to the spirit, you'll reap everlasting life. And I was just thinking this week how how much the Holy Spirit wants to work among us, but we quench the Holy Spirit by making simple fleshly decisions. And then when they, the corruption comes into our lives and we reap the difficulties and we reap the consequences, we reap the issues, we reap all the things that we've been sowing forever, we're shocked and surprised by it. And we begin to drift away. Because you know what happens then? People begin to blame God. They begin to be upset with God. Who warned us? He's the one that said, if you go down this path, this is what you're going to get. And if you go down this path, this is what you're going to get. You know, because the opposite is true. When you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap everlasting life. It's, it's been a, an area of my life that I want to continue to increase where I'm just sowing seeds of encouragement, sowing seeds of love and joy, and, and just saying something nice encouraging people, just knowing that that's, gonna, that's going to that's gonna reap a harvest of encouragement and love and joy in someone's life. You don't know when it's going to happen. That God wants to make us patient, waiting for him to work, instead of holding each other to these standards that, listen, listen the issue in our lives is not with one another, it's with our relationship with God. If all these things, he says, Every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, and it did, and it does. How will we escape if we choose to neglect so great a salvation? And the answer is, we won't.
we won't escape. If we sow to the flesh, we'll reap corruption. And it may happen at the worst time in your life, unexpectedly. And you won't be the person that you were because you've backslidden away from God. It's not God's heart for you to backslide. It's not his desire for you to walk away from him, to just float by passively away from the truth. William Barclay, a commentator on this section, he wrote something that I just want to quote him verbatim. Let me quote. For most of us, the threat of life is not so much that we should plunge into disaster, but that we should drift into sin. There are few people who deliberately and in a moment turn their backs on God. There are many who day by day drift farther and farther away from him. There are not many who in one moment of time commit some disastrous sin. There are many, though, who bit by bit almost imperceptibly involve themselves in some situation and suddenly awake to find that they have ruined life for themselves and broken someone else's heart. We would do well to be continually on the alert against the peril of the drifting life, end quote. But listen, this is how he describes it. He says, there are many who bit by bit and almost imperceptibly involve themselves in some situation and suddenly awake to find that they have ruined life for themselves and broken someone else's heart. That drifting away is a heartbreaker. And not only is God warning us, but he says in verse 4, he says that God bears witness. There's a witness to these truths. Number one, God himself bore witness. And number two, notice, God gave signs and wonders and various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. The supernatural work of the Holy Spirit is among us. He's ready to walk. He's ready to speak and ready to encourage and ready to help. He's ready at any time in any moment. I mean, I'm thankful that in the early church, they were so intense on seeking God's will that they experienced the things of the Spirit. They experienced them firsthand. God speaking, God moving, God healing. And so the question is, why don't we see more of that today? Well, let me give you a couple, couple things, a couple reasons why I think we don't see more of this miraculous work of the Holy Spirit today actively in our Western culture. Number one, unbelief. Unbelief. People just don't believe that God works that way anymore. Somewhere along the way they were taught that. Somewhere along the way they read some books, some theology. No, no, no. God doesn't work that way anymore. He only did that in the book of Acts and he doesn't heal anymore. And he doesn't do miraculous things anymore. And he doesn't change lives. And he just doesn't do it like that anymore. He doesn't speak through people anymore. And and the prevailing doctrine that's among us today is, hey, we don't need all the signs and wonders because we have the Bible. No, no, no. God hasn't changed. Signs and wonders are a part of God's nature. He he uses them to get people's attention. Why? So that they might be attentive to the preaching of the gospel. That he might approve and and bear witness to the work of God in our midst. And, And you know, we have these afterglows. I mentioned in the bulletin today. We have these afterglows where we come together expecting God to move. And he does. If you come up here today and ask for healing, ask for us to pray, and we pray over you for God to heal you, you know what? We believe that God can heal you. We believe that. We believe that God still heals today. 
We believe that God can defy the doctor's orders. We believe that God can defy whatever a doctor typed, whatever he wrote, whatever message he left. We believe that God can heal today. And we believe that he is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. He can heal your broken heart. He can heal your broken body. He can heal your broken emotions. He can bring back what is broken and bring it healed. And he is sovereign in his healing. So we learn to trust him. But we don't come up and just do something like out of ritual here. Oh, okay, the Bible says we should pray. No, if we, we believe many times, you know, whenever you're sick and you ask for healing, you know, you want the person to have more faith than you do. <laughs> it's like, man, because you're, you're getting all the news and you're getting all the difficulty and you're reading all the reports. And, and, and man, you, you want somebody that believes God to pray with you. The, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much, the Bible says. We want to believe. And yet, what do we come to? We do so often. We say, Lord, help our unbelief. But I believe God can heal. And, and even if he chooses not to heal in the way that we expect, when we leave this body and we enter into the presence of the Lord, we are going to be perfectly healed. All of it will be done away with. That may not be our desire. That's why we respond in grief and mourning at the loss of a loved one. Because we miss out on so much of life that we wanted to share. But for those that have gone before us into the presence of God, they're not grieving and mourning. They're rejoicing. They are experiencing what you and I will experience soon enough. Because all of us are going to face that last breath. But we believe God works till still today. We don't need an afterglow. We don't need a believers meeting, but I'm so grateful for them because there's a sense of a small group of people that come way more expected God for God to move than in a larger group. But one day, my prayer for our afterglow is that our services are all just this constant, continual gathering of expectation for God to move and God to speak, not just going to church not just going through and doing what we think we need to do, not just showing up for an hour or so and enduring a message, but rather coming together with the saints, expectant, hopeful, ready, open, so that God might bear witness in any way that he desires. If we're not living life on that plane, on that level, we're missing out. We're missing out on the presence of God. We, we so often live without the consciousness of God. And he wants to do so much more than we want him to do sometimes. Why do we see less and less or hear of less and less signs and wonders in our Western culture? Number one, unbelief. Number two, rationalization. Rationalization. You go, Ed, what do you mean? Well, you know, we tend to rationalize things. We live in such a scientific culture that we want everything to be explained to us. And if we have something that's unexplainable, we try to explain it away. And don't accept it. Why? Because you, you talk about how God touched you, how God healed you. You go to work so excited. You won't believe what happened. This, this situation in my body, we prayed, we anointed with oil, and God did this work. And what's the response at work? Are you crazy? You're not one of them, are you? And you're like, one of what? Somebody that believes God? that he's still alive today, that you're dead in your trespass. Go ahead and give that to them. No. <laughs> you know how the conversation's going to go. You're going to be all embarrassed. You're going to feel weird. You go, why did I share it? Now I know, man. And now you do that about four or 500 times in your lifetime. And you don't explain. You, don't, you just explain away. Because aren't we so quick to 
please, please don't let me be the only one, okay? But aren't you so quick to turn to Tylenol than you are to prayer? I know I am. I have a headache, I endure it for a while, and then I go into the kitchen and grab some Advil or whatever's in there and hoping that will take care of the headache. And you know what it does? It takes care of the headache. And I go on with the day. And I go through another one and I turn to this. You know, maybe I'm lacking knowledge. I'm lacking information. You know what I do? I pull out my phone and say, hey Siri, what's the population of Aurora, Colorado in 2018? And Siri says, where's Aurora? No, it's nice. <laughs> Whatever she does. And I'm just so quick to pull out my phone and Google it. You know, when I get away uh, on this one trip, this, this trip with Marie, you know, we do for our, for our anniversary, and I encourage you guys to whatever, you guys that are married, you need some time, just you and your spouse alone. No kids, uh, don't bring the bills with you, uh, don't, you know, and even turn your phone off. And so this is the closest, the, almost every year I was able to unplug. This year we had some things taking place here, so I had to check in every couple days. Uh, just check in and then log in, log off, log in, log off. So it wasn't like, but whenever we get away, I find out how dependent I am on Google. You know, when I was growing up, you know who Google was? My dad. <laughs> if we had a question, he, the dude knew almost everything. I don't know how he got all, he just was, he just had all the answers. And then Google came along, and now you can Google it and check it out. Even last night, I made a few things. I, I had a few questions, and, and there were people that Googled it right during the message and gave me the answer before we were done. And they got busted <laughs> because it, we're, so quick to, we're so quick to ask Google and not the Lord. It's just the facts. They don't need to be all convicted over it and beat up. It's just the facts. It's what's been ingrained in us. We're, we're so quick to ask. You know, you've got this big, difficult situation, and then you go to some other source, and you've trained yourself not to go to the Lord. And so no wonder our lives are empty and without meaning and purpose. No wonder we're so susceptible to now smoking pot because it's legal now and, and drinking a little bit more and and getting involved, maybe seeing a doctor more than we should, and getting this kind of pain pill, and the Oxycontin, and all the, and now, no wonder we, we want to live in this glazed over experience, because we've trained ourselves in our culture to not depend upon a God who's with us all day, every day, who's strong and sufficient on our behalf, who will use every circumstance in our lives to make us more obedient and closer to him, to love him more and to love this world less. But we're on the course of loving this world so much and loving God less, and the warning of Hebrews is, hey, because Jesus is superior and you have a relationship with him, we need to take the more earnest heed to do what we hear. Because the moment you choose not to do what you hear, you're on the road of backsliding. And we just become so rational and so full of unbelief, so full, I know it's a hard thing to hear, but we become so full of ourselves. Why else would you be posting all those opinions on Facebook if you didn't think your opinion was more important than anyone else's? Why don't you try to address everything on Facebook and everything in your life with the Word of God and see if it doesn't change your feed a little bit 
and it doesn't change your mind. It's like every, it seems like every post is like an invitation for your opinion. It's not. It's an invitation for you to seek the Lord with what you just read and what you just experienced and what you're going through. Everything in life is trying to pull us away from a sufficient walk with God. And so now I find myself joining the pastors of old, begging their churches to get right with the things of God so that you can experience the abundant life and you can experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit and we can experience a dramatic inroad to our community where people are drunk 24-7 and high and stressed out and you name it because for many of you that's how we used to live isn't it that's how I lived before I got saved life was so difficult I didn't want to feel it and I bought the lie that if I didn't feel it things would get better but the problem was things got worse why because if you sow to the flesh believer or unbeliever alike it's, it's a spiritual truth for anyone if you sow to the flesh you're going to reap corruption things are going to corrupt in your life things are going to die in your life people are going to leave you relationships are going to end you're going to run away and isolate yourself you're going to say things you never would have thought you'd ever say and you're going to think things you never thought you would ever think and the very people that God put into your life to help you, you're going to run away from because you've sown to the flesh. And now you're going to reap the consequences. And the good news is simply this. It's God's heart that you not drift away. And he's empowered you and me as believers with the very presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it doesn't matter how far you are, so maybe you're here today and it's not just a message for those that will listen on the radio later, but it's for you. And you're backsliding. You are a backslidden, miserable person right now. Because that's what you could say, backsliding. Drifting, backsliding, and misery, they're all equal. Because you're not experiencing what you thought. This world isn't all that it, is, all that it promised. It's not giving you what you thought. You still go to bed upset. You still go to bed worried, filled with fears and stress. Some of you even have night torments because your life isn't right with God. You can't even sleep now. The one place that you got any kind of rest has been stolen away from you because now the enemy's all up in your mind. And the good news is Jesus said, if that describes you, Jesus gives you an invitation he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Pastor Ed Taylor has been pointing out one of the many dangers we face as Christians, drifting. Put another way, backsliding. And right now on Abounding Grace, we're in the process of presenting Ed's four-part series on backsliding. The entire four-part CD set is available. Call us at 877-30-GRACE for all the ordering details. That's 877 877- 
304-704-7223. Or listen online 24-7 at calvaryaurora.org. Another way to grow on the go is to download the Calvary Aurora and Grace FM Colorado apps. Do a search for Calvary Aurora. This month, we're pleased to offer an excellent book written by Ray Bentley. It's called The Holy Land Key, Unlocking End Times Prophecy Through the Lives of God's People in Israel. It's one thing to read prophecy, but this will help you step into its fulfillment. Pastor Ray spotlights significant prophetic signs contained in the stories of biblical characters in God's creation and in the lives of today's Israelis and Palestinians. We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Please remember this radio ministry is made possible through the support of listeners just like you. It would be so nice to hear from you during these summer months. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. You can also write to Abounding Grace, Post Office Box 460-598, Aurora, Colorado, 80046. Pastor Ed Taylor has observed six steps to becoming a backslider, and he'll point them out to us tomorrow on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel Aurora.